Welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. So this past week, we got the last week's worth of spoilers from Throne of Eldraine. So now we know the entire contents of the set, and we can give you an overview of how Throne of Eldraine adds to Commander, what it does for the format. But we're going to leave that for the very end of the episode. We're going to start off talking about the new legendary creatures spoiled in the final week. And then we'll go into the main deck cards and then we'll give you our our wrap up. So let's start with Linden, the Steadfast Queen. She is white, white, white for a 3-3 legendary human noble. She has vigilance and whenever a white creature you control attacks, you gain one life. So in terms of tech... There are a handful of things that can trigger off of this life gain. You can run Well of Lost Dreams and Dawn of Hope to draw some cards, Angelic Accord and Resplendent Angel to make some 4-4 angels off of your, your life gain. But that's really it. It's pretty much just those four cards. And the rest of the deck is tokens or weenies to try to net as many triggers as possible but to to have so few payoffs like since you're in mono white you could easily play a game where you never draw those cards and you have all (laughs) this setup and no payoff at all it's like i guess i have a high life total yeah no it's funny because a lot of the cards that work really well with like little life gain increments like this are not mono white Mm -hmm. like for whatever reason they've decided to like put these kind of cards in mono white over the years but then never the rewards that you really want if there was a sanguine bond in this color identity i'd be (laughs) a lot more excited to run this Mm -hmm. so i I don't think this adds a whole lot to the format as a commander but i will say like it's probably good in the main deck of like a karlov deck any deck that really cares about triggering life gain multiple times like this will get you a whole bunch of triggers on your karlov and then he'll grow huge and you'll exile a bunch of stuff and it'll be great All right, moving on to the next mono-white commander. It is Sir Alan the Lion's Claw. Three white-white for a 4-4 legendary human knight with first strike. Whenever Sir Alan the Lion's Claw attacks, other creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. This is a card that requires a little bit of context to evaluate properly. So basically, this card already exists. If you're not familiar with uh, Odyssey Block, there's a card called Piana Nomad Captain. One white-white for a legendary creature, Human Nomad. Whenever Piana attacks, attacking creatures, including herself, get plus one plus one until end of turn. She's a base 2-2. You can argue, like, Sir Alan has first strike. Sir Alan has two more base power and toughness, but he doesn't pump himself with the ability. (laughs) But really, like, you're paying two more mana for Sir Alan for what is basically the same card. Piana being a three-drop, is just so much better because mm-hmm. really what you're looking for if you want this is the go wide token kind of strategy and if you got to wait till turn five like why aren't you just playing like dissolve gold main or something mm-hmm. like that yeah this is a, a very weak buff especially in commander we complain about plus one plus one buffs in commander like they don't scale well to a 40 life format yeah. with multiple opponents so i i don't think sir alan adds anything to the format yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's because it, it's literally the same trigger as another 
card that exists that is legendary that is mono white so. and, and is much cheaper uh yeah so sad all right this next guy beats face this yeah. guy rocks <laughs> so this is torbran thane of red fell one red 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 for a legendary dwarf noble he's a two four and if a red source you control would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls it deals that much damage plus two instead oh yeah that's a good boy (laughs) yeah yeah sometimes it's frustrating if you're doing a set review and you have a string of bad cards in a row because like you don't want listeners to think that you're impossible to please but sometimes you just run into bad cards and it's great when you get a card like Torbrand to talk about, yeah. because I have nothing but nice things to say about this guy. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've been waiting for him in some regard to come along because they always print those like red spells or something deals one more or two more or something like that. But they're always so restrictive mm-hmm. and they're always not efficient enough to really see play. Like the closest one I can think of is the Embermal Helion. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. And that wasn't legendary or anything like that and that was only plus one so it's like yeah (laughs) this is almost cool but it costs five mana and it's it's really only giving me plus one damage on my stuff that's not quite enough but this guy is cheaper he's in your command zone so you have access to him at all time and plus two is an enormous bonus yeah it's huge it turns so many like pyroclasm is a playable card now yeah okay i i built a list it will be linked in the episode description but let me just read out some of these cards. Yeah. I, I gotta start I gotta start with this. You can't not talk about mana barbs. Three and a red for enchantment. Whenever a player taps a land for mana, mana barbs deals one damage to that player. So you will take one damage for every land you tap while this and Torbrand are on the battlefield, and your opponents will take three. Yeah, they lightning bolt. Every land they tap. Yeah, so if they cast a three drop, they took nine damage. Good God. Other things, spell shock. Two in a red for enchantment. Whenever a player casts a spell, spell shock deals two damage to him or her, or to them. You take two off your spells, your opponents take four. I I honestly have never been a fan of group slug decks because they just don't scale well to 40 life format like yeah. spell shock with 40 life is just like okay i guess i can only do this 19 more times but spell shock when it's hitting for four is a big game like torbrand mm. is the first good group slug commander <laughs> that, that's how i view him honestly there is so much tech here that i would just end up reading the deck list to you i'll try to keep this super high level and say like a couple categories of cards that are awesome but really please look at the deck because this thing just rips it's so cool token strategies work really well with torbran essentially all your creatures get plus two plus oh so it's great to like i'm gonna pay three for a hordling outburst and its damage output is nine damage per turn (laughs) conversely he can also play a control game really well there's all these red spells that like deal three damage to everything, and Torbrand conveniently has four toughness. So it's like I'll play this flame break, and like all of your creatures are taking five, which honestly is enough to clear most, most, boards, yeah, most boards. And whereas like Torbrand survives, so it's pretty easy to like build a situation where you just have these one-sided board wipes 
other good things, just other Punisher effects. Like yeah, Zozu's finally playable, everybody. Yeah, Sulfuric Vortex, everyone takes four every single turn. Yeah, and they can't gain the life back. Oh, also, like, with the token strategy, and this deck is running a significant amount of token production, there's also cards like Raid Bombardment oh, yeah. and Cavalcade of Calamity and Hell Rider. All three of those cards essentially do the same thing. Whenever a creature you control attacks, deal one damage to defending player. So if you're attacking with like four tokens, then you're, the defending player takes 12 damage before they even decide on their blockers. One other thing, like red spot removal generally doesn't scale well to this format. A lightning bolt doesn't matter when there's like five fives and four fours running around. But with Torbrand, like lightning bolt deals five damage now. Red cap melee, which we talked about last week, deals six damage to something. You're, yeah, for you're one. sniping titans for a single mana. Can I mention my favorite guy in the whole list, which is this Glinthorn Buccaneer? I would. I was about to bring oh him up. Oh my god, He's so good. I'm, I'm going to read this out really quick for those who aren't familiar with oh, it. Oh yes, it is a, a relatively new card. So Glinthorn Buccaneer is one red red for a two four Minotaur pirate with haste. Whenever you discard a card, it deals one damage to each opponent. And you can pay one in a red and discard a card to draw a card, but you can only activate that ability while it is attacking. His ability is like enough to let you cycle through stuff. And in this list in particular, this is insane because like you're like, I'm going to discard a card and draw a card and I'll, you take three. One last card I want to mention because, again, we could go on all day. There is so much tech for this yeah. deck. One card that really struck me as like sweet in this deck is Fiery Confluence. Normally, like the dealing damage to your opponents is the worst mode. Like, usually when you're casting Fiery Confluence, it's some combination of pinging mana dorks and destroying artifacts. But Fiery Confluence in this deck, it's like, well, I can either deal four damage to an opponent three times, or like deal three damage to each creature several times, or destroy artifacts. Like, two of the modes on this card just get supercharged. And even though like it's all on a single card, they do count as multiple instances of damage, so they do all get the bonus from Torbran. Also, Goblin Chain Whirlers. Oh yeah, these. that's so crazy. There's yeah. so many good things. Yeah, we gotta stop. We gotta stop. Uh, and and also, Torbran is probably good in the main deck of a lot of builds, especially token lists. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, so next we are gonna move on to the green legendary creatures that were spoiled this week. It's Sir Farin the Hedgehammer is the first one. Green, green for a 2-2 legendary human knight. Whenever Sir Farin attacks, another target attacking creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is Sir Farin's power. I'm kind of not super down with him. Uh, I mean, just sort of (laughs) imagine if you had Volrath and you took away two of the colors (laughs) and you made it so that his base power was actually like five less. Would he still be good in that scenario? The answer is no. This guy wants you to have creatures that it's really powerful to buff how much damage they're dealing, but it kind of begs the question of, like, why am I buffing Sir Farin just to buff this Glistener Elf or whatever? Yeah. Like, why not just buff the creature in the first place and not have to spend my command slot on this guy? Yeah, my, like, rebuttal is that, like, you can kill two people, because if you're pumping him, you attack one person... You get commander damage, you're attacking the other person with infect. I feel like we've said this a lot yes. over the course of these three episodes, but Sir Farron himself doesn't have any of the things you would want on a Voltron commander. He doesn't have 
a really high power to cost ratio doesn't have haste doesn't have protection doesn't have evasion so like the plan of like he's gonna be do voltron damage to you and this elf is gonna do poison damage to you doesn't seem super solid because like you have to do so much work for like attacking with sir Farin to be meaningful speaking of bad voltron commander yeah For green, 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 you get Yorvo, Lord of Garenbrig. Yorvo is a 0-0 legendary creature giant noble. Yorvo enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it. Whenever another green creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Yorvo. Then if that creature's power is greater than Yorvo's power, put another plus one plus one counter on Yorvo. I think if you wanted to farm counters, you probably shouldn't care about getting bigger creatures because it's hard to get a lot of big creatures yeah (laughs) i feel like if you're trying to farm counters you just want something like deranged hermit or deep forest hermit Mm -hmm. that'll Mm -hmm. get you like five bodies for five mana and get that many counters on yorvo but five extra power and toughness for five mana isn't a crazy good ratio compared to some of the better auras and equipment and like again yorvo has the problem where his base case is not huge. Like, he's just a 4 4 for 3 base. And he doesn't have haste. He doesn't have evasion. He doesn't have protection. So, yeah, he gives you a mechanism for making him bigger. But you still have to play the cards that, that achieve that. No, I agree with you. The fact that he just doesn't have, like, trample or something. Right now, it just seems like this is so much work. I don't think this is going to do much in Commander. I will say that although he is disappointing as a commander, he could be good in the main deck of Gave decks, or Gave, because you remove a counter from Yorvo to make a sapperling, and then Yorvo trigger is he gets a new counter, so you can... Keep it going, yeah. Yeah, not no, that hard I, to set up a combo from there. I think that's the last commander this week, so yeah, now we've seen all the I, creatures. I wish we had a second commander that was as good as Torbrand, because it just felt like, oh, we're down on this commander, we're down on this commander, hey, Torbrand, and then, oh, this guy sucks, yeah. hate Yorvo, whatever. Yeah. A lot of them, honestly, I'm still happy with. I think, like, two-thirds hit rate, for me at least, is like, oh, cool. Yeah, I think we had a better hit rate in previous weeks. The first two episodes, for sure. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, We have a cycle, though, we're going to talk about real quick. So this is the land cycle. They all enter the battlefield tapped unless you control a basic land type. They all tap for a colored mana, and then they all have an activated ability that does something. Uh, Yep. So we'll start with Castle Ardenvale. This is a land that enters tapped unless you control planes. It taps for white mana, and it has two white, white tap. Create a 1-1 white human creature token. If I was in mono white, I would probably just run this because the opportunity cost is so incredibly low. Even like red white, it's like, okay, I can have a planes. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing, it's not a basic planes either. So if you fetch and get a shock, now Castle Ardenvale enters untapped. And if I fancy to, mm-hmm. I can make a human at some point in time. So I, I don't think it's like super powerful, but I'm probably going to play it. The rate is not what I was hoping it would be. This was the fifth one spoiled. I I actually like guessed that this is what Castle Ardenvale was gonna do, that it just except I thought it would be two and a white tap to create a human. More close to a Danto. But I guess they decided to nerf that a little bit. Yeah. I mean it's a just a white human though, it doesn't even have an ability. I know I hopped around this last week, but out of twenty three cards in magic that produce human tokens 
nine are legal in Throne of Eldraine standard. It's really, really conspicuous how much human token generation is going on. And it, again, it could be one of two things. Either like humans are going to be more the default token type for white, or maybe they're setting up for um, human tribal because they are mm-hmm. certainly setting up for devotion decks. Yeah, yeah. And that is loud in this set. Yeah, all the legends with three colors in their cost, yeah. all the uncommons with two or more colors, mm-hmm. the four hybrid uncommon site it's like oh okay i see you all right what's the next land we're talking about yeah this is castle vantress it enters tapped unless you control an island it taps for one blue and it has two blue blue tap scry two kind of the same thing applies i think if i'm like mono blue or two colors i'd probably play this because if you have a free turn to scry two didn't cost you anything (laughs) but the mana yeah i feel like this cycle is better in blue because it's kind of a normal thing in blue decks to hold up counter spells Mm -hmm. so having that mana open for your counter spells and then okay nobody played anything worth countering i'm gonna activate my castle vantress and get a little bit of card selection yeah that seems like a pretty normal line of play this is castle lockthwain enters tapped unless you control a swamp taps to add one black and it has one black black tap draw a card then lose life equal to the number of cards in your hand. I would just play this if you have like one or two cards in hand, I would activate it, but just like it starts to hurt pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm taking six for a card, you know? Yeah, this is this one has a bit more of a restriction than the others. The other ones, it's like, well, if you have nothing better to do, then do this. This one, it's more like if you have nothing better to do and you also got to watch how many cards you have in hand. Yeah. But it's powerful. One of the stronger effects, certainly. Except for this next one, which is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Castle Embereth. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a mountain. It taps for a red. And it has one red-red tap. Creatures you control get plus one, plus O oh until end of turn. This seems like the best of the cycle. This is the only one that I wouldn't just jam into like any red deck. Mm-hmm. Like I would put it in red decks with creatures. Like I wouldn't put it in like a Spellslinger deck. There are a lot of red token decks so they are going to be able to make use of this quite well next is castle garenbrig it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control a forest taps for a green two green green tap add six green spend this mana only to cast creature spells or activate abilities of creatures this is one of the other ones i wouldn't just jam into like every green deck the restriction and just the mana cost is enough like i can see what they're doing in standard they're like if you get to five you actually can play a six drop. Like, okay, that's cute, whatever. Mm-hmm. But thinking Commander, there's just better ramp than that. The one thing that my mind thought of, because I think about this when I see like things that make more than one mana, mm-hmm. is just mana reflection. You go tap two lands in this, so three mana to 12 mana, but only green and only for creatures. There's some decks that do that. Like if you're running mana reflection in your creature deck, you'll be happy. But that's kind of it. There's not really too many decks that i think are like super crazy about this yeah like uh, you're essentially paying five mana for six mana with a restriction which is like not an incredible rate of conversion yeah to me it looks a little bit like a temple of the false god but you can actually use it you know if you have fewer than five lands yeah and it taps for a color too which is that's pretty nice it provides some marginal value and it doesn't really have any drawbacks that's kind of where i'm at with all of them is like why not So now we are into the main deck card, so we're going to start with white as per usual. This is Acclaimed Contender. 
a 3-3 human knight for two and a white. When acclaimed contender enters the battlefield, if you control another knight, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a knight, aura, equipment, or legendary artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. That's a lot of conditions. Yeah. Really, you need to have a critical mass of knights in order for this to work. And there's only two decks with uh, a lot of knights. So that's going to be Ariel, Knight of Windgrace, and Sir Gwyn. In those two decks, I could imagine running him because he will probably hit. If you have enough knights to make it so that his ability triggers, then you have enough knights that will probably get something. But outside of those lists, please don't run this card. This is Happily Ever After. It is two and a white for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each player gains five life and draws a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are five colors among permanents you control, there are six or more card types among permanents you control and or cards in your graveyard, and your life total is greater than or equal to your starting life total, you win the game. Wow, that is a lot of conditions. Yeah, there's a lot of conditions. There's definitely going to be people who pull this off. Like It's three mana... Uh, you can mill yourself. To f- if you couldn't put cards in your graveyard, this card would be complete and utter mm-hmm. garbage. But I think the fact that you can mill yourself, like people are just going to win out of nowhere. Like there's going to be Turbo Fog and Pillow Fort decks where this is the win condition and like whatever. You know what I'm thinking? Like maybe the right way to build Kenrith is like Hermit Druid because, you know, getting your composite golem in your graveyard is as good as getting him in your hand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you could also run bridge from below that could be like your win condition yeah no that's pretty cool okay i like that yeah so that that's kind of where i'm at like don't just play this and then try to win after that be like okay now i win yeah (laughs) and oh my god this etb is so painful like that is this etb is really another drawback because it gives away three cards in 15 life This card is Hushbringer. It is one and a white for a 1-2 fairy with flying and lifelink. Creatures entering the battlefield or dying don't cause abilities to trigger. So we've seen this first half of the card before. We've seen Torpor Orb, Hushwing Griff, and Tokatli Honor Guard. Those cards see play in like white hate bear lists, Mm -hmm. but that ability is obviously very meta-dependent. If turning off ETBs wasn't good enough in the first place, I don't know if turning off death triggers is going to be... Like, this thing that pushes that over the line. Yeah. And the tricky thing with all these white hate bear cards is, like, it depends entirely on your color identity. Like, if you're in mono white or even, like, red white, you don't have a way to ensure that you're going to draw the right type of answer. Because, like, drawing Hushbringer against a Spellslinger deck is not going to do anything. You really need, like, a second color that can help you find the right answers for the right problem. Before we move on to the next card, Uh do you think Hushbringers are too sexy? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say his name wrong. Bastion Dearm. He's been doing magic art for a while now. He does, like, life drawing a lot in his, like, uh, studio work. And a lot of nanny ladies. This is a family program. We can't Mm. say the naked word. Oh, oh, oh. oh, 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 I'll edit it out. Yep. Oh, man. So he's an incredible artist. Like he's done a lot of some of my favorite pieces in Magic for the last few years. I think this is them consciously towing the line. Yeah, I think this is them consciously asking him to kind of put a little more something in a little more juice, a little bit more. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it is a little bit more spicy than most Magic art lately. 
man, I feel like if I have a strong opinion on this, I'm going to come off very creepy, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I didn't mind the early magic art as a, a red-blooded American. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was this like recent period where it became very chaste, and I think that like you can definitely move the needle a little bit further than it's been. Like We see so much gore and like gruesome stuff on magic cards, but we don't see just like an appreciation for like more positive yeah. like, human emotions. Yeah. Like they, they will do their best to evoke horror and disgust, but like not positive responses as much. Yeah. There's, oh man, this is a bigger topic than we should talk about in the podcast, but I, I do think that it's very silly that people can't contrast in that way. So like, yes, we can go and see someone getting eviscerated, mm-hmm. but if that guy's abs are too sexy, watch out. Mm-hmm. If that if that person's a little too curvy, it can be an out ozone. Mm-hmm. And not to say that like, because there's obviously like cheesecake that's pretty bad. Uh, we've yeah. definitely, I think most players, most shops have seen. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, some 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 play mats or sleeves. Yeah, perhaps. someone someone came out of the cheesecake factory. Like things that actually make people uncomfortable. Yeah. because it, that is way too far. Yeah, but. there is a line. So Hushbringer is definitely not at that line. Yeah, <laughs> and I welcome more stuff like this because also the art's like weirder than most magic art, which I like. Yeah, that's another thing to appreciate about it. But moving on, this is Realm Cloaked Giant. Realm Cloaked Giant is an adventure creature. The adventure that Realm Cloaked Giant goes on is called Cast Off. It is three white-white sorcery adventure. Destroy all non-giant creatures. So then you'd cast them into exile. And if you want to, or maybe if you just wanted a 7-7 Vigilance, you could cast him for five and two white. And that's it. He's a 7-7 Vigilance. I think a few episodes ago I was talking about I want to see ones that I can reuse. Mm -hmm. Like ones I would want to reuse. And this is one of them. Like... That's a pretty reasonable wrath. It's on attached to this creature. Yeah, the creature's kind of big and overcosted, but the fact that it's a creature just means I can get it back a little easier. I'm happy to spend this much for a board wipe. It'll probably save me. Yeah, it's a little bit over like the the market price. Yeah. For this effect, but the ability to like now I'm going to cast a huge beater that is like essentially free. It's not hurting me at all to run the realm cloak giant half in my deck oh yeah and seven seven is big enough that you kind of have to respect it either they have to like spend removal on it or somehow answer it and then if that happens then it's in my graveyard and if i'm in the color identity that can reuse it at that mm-hmm. point like okay yeah i'll, I'll phyrexian reclamation that and now i have another wrath in my hand and another enormous threat yeah even green green white can do that just as well mm-hmm. like, it's cool this is what i was hoping that we'd kind of see out of adventure the creature half matters so little as long as the spell half is good Mm -hmm. and this spell half is good also if your commander is a white giant you should run this card it's very very good in ruhan moving on to the next one this is less about the card and more about the format yes exactly so fey of wishes this is an adventurer its adventure is granted three and blue for a sorcery you may choose a non-creature card you own from outside the game, reveal it, and put it into your hand. And the creature half is Fey of Wishes, one and a blue for a 1-4 fairy wizard with flying. You can pay one and a blue and discard two cards to return Fey of Wishes to its owner's hand. As a card, 
Obviously, it doesn't work in Commander. But what's interesting about it is Wizards has printed a wish effect in each of the last three standard sets. Clearly, this is going to be a part of Magic going forward. In most sets, we will probably see a wish in order to like improve gameplay in best of one. It kind of doesn't make sense to me that Commander's rules don't align with modern Magic design. Like You've probably heard me advocating for this rules change before, but I want to experiment with this. I'm going to be doing some testing with my playgroup, running wish cards and having a wish board, like a 10-card wish board, outside my deck that I don't actually plan on doing any sideboarding for because I don't think sideboarding adds a lot to Commander. It just kind of increases the amount of time that it takes between games. Yeah, I've I've played in leagues where sideboards were allowed, Mm -hmm. and it didn't really add too much. I definitely got to seed time someone once. Mm -hmm. That was cool, but, like, that was one time. (laughs) Yeah, and also, like, sideboarding in Commander, like, okay, I've got 10 different silver bullets for these 10 different decks I think I might see, and it's like, okay, sweet, I'm playing against Krenko. Let me just side this card in, and it's one card in 99. You've got basically a 1% chance of drawing it with any given draw. Yeah. So like a sideboard doesn't do nearly as much as when you have a 15 card sideboard and a 60 card deck. The sideboarding very much favors decks that can either tutor, tutor or cycle through the deck. So like I always liked it cuz I was playing my green black Golgari Lich Lord. And when you Mesmeric Orb like seven cards a turn and you can play out of your graveyard, it's like, oh, there's two of my cards I needed. Mm -hmm. That's so much better than like the guy over there playing red green, hoping he can draw his sideboard card. Drawing his cards one at a time. Yeah. So that was something I noticed about sideboards in Commander. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing some testing. We'll see how it is. There are some good counter arguments to like not implementing wishboards, specifically like for, say, competitive playgroups. If you're really trying to optimize your deck, there's kind of no reason not to run a sideboard. So it just means, well, I have to buy another 10 cards. I have to like have another 10 sleeves for every single one of my decks because this is just another way to optimize. Mm-hmm. So that that is kind of a pain, even if it is like only an optional thing. But I would like to have just more experience with this kind of gameplay and see like does it add something to commander or are all the problems it creates so troublesome that we probably shouldn't move in that direction even if wizards continues to print these useless cards yeah we definitely need more data so if your playgroups are cool with this too give it a shot let us know like what your experience is also that being said i don't love this particular design for a wish oh yeah because Like, non-creature is really broad, and the fact that you can rebuy it and wish... Like, any card that can wish multiple times, it's like, okay, this is a one-card combo. Yeah, if you just have, like, an equilibrium, you don't need to discard two cards to bounce it. I expect this to be kind of obnoxious in Arena as Mm -hmm. well. Oh, good. Anyway, I will be doing some testing. I've already bought a whole bunch of wishes. (laughs) We'll probably do an episode where I report back sometime at the beginning of 2020, so look forward to that. So, moving on, we got... A very powerful card. Yeah, this one is awesome. It's part of the common cycle of lands we got. Uh, This is Mystic Sanctuary. It is a land. It has the subtype Island. It has tap, add blue, because it's an island. It has Mystic Sanctuary enters the battlefield tapped, unless you control three or more other islands. When Mystic Sanctuary enters the battlefield untapped, you may put target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard on top of your library. 
Blue has never gotten this effect for free. Yeah. Ever. With good reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me say that if you're in mono blue. Yeah. yeah. And your commander can bounce lands. Yeah. And you've got a critical mass of extra turn effects. Yeah. Then this thing will generate infinite turns. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. And I know that sometimes we will phrase things in that way to demonstrate like how unlikely something is to occur. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a surprising number of mono blue commanders that can bounce lands. Yeah. And there's enough extra turn effects. I, I think that it's not unreasonable to assemble a combo. Yeah. And it, especially when you can fetch this mm-hmm. piece, which oh, is yeah. pretty Just nuts. Any fetch land will do it. That's yeah. so easy to find. Yeah. There's five extra turn effects that don't exile themselves or, or shuffle back into your library so that is enough to slide into the combo and the great thing about extra turn effects is they replace themselves with a card and they untap all your lands so they are basically free to run yeah like they don't really cost you anything in terms of mana or cards so it's it's really easy to fit them into your deck so it's no cost okay i've got these five combo pieces no cost i've got these all these fetch lands yeah, and then your commander will do it for you because, like Maloku, he has as his ability like pay one, bounce a land you control, make a one-one illusion with flying. Oh. With him, you just keep bouncing Mystic Sanctuary, keep putting Time Warp onto your top of your deck, infinite turns, infinite one-one flyers, yeah. and you could probably win the game from that position. Yep. Kefnet the Mindful is that five-five god from Almonkhet. You can pay three in a blue to bounce a land you control and draw a card. So with that, you can just keep bouncing the Sanctuary. Yeah, also netting cards. Yeah, you're netting cards, and you're hitting with the f- indestructible flying commander. Yep. It's it's good, on top of all the other stuff you get to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, Uyo, Silent Prophet. I love Uyo. So yeah. Much. She has flying, so like she can kind of be your win condition in this scenario. She's a 4-4. And she has two return two lands you control to their owner's hands. Copy target instant or sorcery spell. So normally, like... If it, she was just bouncing two lands, then you'd be going down on lands. It'd be like an unsustainable combo. But the fact that you can copy the extra turn yeah. spell means that you get two more land drops. It's so good. And you can just do it every two turns. I love you, Uyo. This card is very powerful. Honestly, like, if you're just running a bunch of time warp effects, it's good enough just as, like, okay, mm-hmm. it's an island that is also, I guarantee, my next draw is awesome. Yeah, because you can fetch at the end of someone's turn, put the card I need on top of my deck... That alone is so good. Really good. So, yeah, I'm super into this card. I really like this cycle in general. But, man, the recursion ones are just way better than that. Yes, they're so much better. Oh, another good blue card coming up. So, this is Sage of the Falls. It is four and a blue for a 2 5 Merfolk Wizard. <coughs> Whenever Sage of the Falls or another non human creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So it's very good with commanders that have, like, cast something, get a token abilities. So, like, Psy, Master Thopterist, when you cast an artifact, you get a 1-1 Thopter. Alila, Artful Provocateur, you get a Fairy whenever you cast an artifact or enchantment. Kaikar, you cast a non-creature, get a Spirit. Or Talrand, cast an instant or sorcery, get a Drake. All of those commanders, they tend to incentivize cards that are of the type, but also draw you a card. So, like, Talrand yeah. runs a ton of cheap cantrips. Same with, like, Kaikar, Alila, Artful Provocateur. We talked a couple episodes ago about how I think that the best way to build around her is to run, like, 
cantrip artifacts like eggs type stuff. So all of those cards, like if you're drawing like a card for the thing itself and then also drawing and discarding, you make it pretty likely that you're not going to fizzle because if you draw land, you can discard that and try to draw more gas. I think this card is really, really good in those decks. It just makes it so that you can just keep committing threats to the board, keep chaining your spells together. Are there any other decks that you think this would be good in? I was going to say uh, Locust God is uh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good in the Locust God. So if you guys don't remember the Locust God, he has one ability that synergizes quite well with yep, Sage of the Falls. Yep. Whenever you draw a card, create a 1-1 one, one blue and red insect creature token with flying. So Sage of the Falls enters the battlefield. I'm going to loot. I will make an insect. Because the insect triggers my Sage, I'm going to loot. Keep going, keep going. And then eventually, once I have like sculpted the God Hand and have 40 flyers on the battlefield... Then, because it's a Yume ability, I'll choose not to draw another card, and then mm. I will kill everyone else. Or you can just have a Kozilek in your deck. Oh yeah, that too. There you go. This next card is part of a cycle we've been talking about. I think we got the two best of the cycle this yeah, week. Yeah, they, they definitely saved the best for last. Yeah. The other ones had some problems. They, but... Yeah, really. So this is the Cauldron of Eternity. Uh, we hinted at it before with the land, mm-hmm. but it costs 10 black black it's a legendary artifact. It costs two less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Whenever a creature you control dies, put it on the bottom of its owner's library. Two black tap, pay two life, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. This is really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot going on here, and it's really good. It's an interesting card because, like, it is really, really good when your graveyard is stocked, but it prevents you from, like, further stocking your graveyard. So it's you have a very limited repertoire of things to reuse. I like that it doesn't say anywhere, like, exiling creatures, like, putting things on the bottom of my library as a way to prevent me from doing tricksy stuff yeah doing yeah. stuff i shouldn't i really love that way to balance cards a lot more than exile exile yeah. is just not fun but like putting stuff on the bottom of my library feels like i'll probably see it again even though of course i won't yeah uh. <laughs> no yeah I, I i also get i guess anxiety nick knows i have friends you know like i always build like longevity into my deck sometimes mm-hmm. to like their detriment <laughs> because i used to play in play groups where that was how you won was just like outliving Who else played in that playing room? (laughs) Who taught you these lessons? (laughs) Friend of the show, Alex. We definitely played in a pretty grindy metagame many, many moons ago. Mm -hmm. So when I see put on the bottom of its owner's library, I am much, much happier, like you said. It's like, and it also makes you feel really smart when you can get around it. Speaking of ways to get around it. Yeah. (laughs) The fair use of the Cauldron of Eternity is like, you know, you put it in a deck with like a lot of self mill and just a deck that can really easily get a lot of creatures into the graveyard. And then, whoa, look at all this value. It's like five reanimation spells. But in terms of unfair uses, yeah, there is a card that synergizes with this quite well. Incredibly well. It is Grenzo Dungeon Warden, X Black Red for a 2 2 Goblin Rogue. He enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on him, and he has pay two. Put the bottom card of your library into your graveyard. If it's a creature card with power less than or equal to Grenzo's power, put it onto the battlefield. So with Grenzo, he can 
dig a card out of the bottom of your library. It's onto the battlefield. If it dies, it goes back onto the bottom, and then Grenzo digs it right back out again. That's quite a lot of value on its own. I would happily pay two for that, but there's also a lot of ways that you can make that go infinite in some way. Oh, yeah. Well, if you have a sack outlet like Ashnod's Altar that just generates mana, boom, there you go. Yeah. But if you have like any other sack outlet, like a Blasting Station or whatever, Grenzo naturally runs a couple cards that generate mana when they enter the battlefield, like Priest of Gix and Priest of Urbrask. Both of those are just fine in the deck because like they pay for themselves when you hit them off Grenzo. So if you have one of those in a sack outlet, it's like, okay, I'm going to make infinite mana. And then once you have infinite mana and Grenzo, and then I'm going to dig out my entire library and put everything onto the battlefield and you guys probably die, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have friends and there's people on the internet that are kind of upset with the colors and the artifacts, but I actually, I'm a pretty big fan of these like colored artifacts that we've been saying. It's just, I, I think they should have been doing this a long time ago. Yeah, and there are ways that they can mechanically differentiate them. It would be cool if like artifacts always had activated abilities so that you really feel like you're using them or else they're artifact creatures because like that is another understandable flavor to sanction. Yep. But whatever, growing pains. Yep, they'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. Uh, this next card is a card that I I actually really love this card. This is Ironcrag Pyromancer. It's a 0-4 human wizard for two and a red. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, Ironcrag Pyromancer deals three damage to any target. This is one of the themes of the set. There's some of them that was just like, put a counter on this guy. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this one and the next one we're going to talk about actually like... Get value. Get value, yeah. And like bolting something generally for free for doing something you wanted to do anyway. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So cool. So if you are playing a commander who kind of wants to draw cards on other people's turns anyway, this becomes like a powerhouse. Like Magmatic Force, I wish didn't cost eight. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't a seven seven. I there's so many things about that card I wish were mm-hmm. different. I just want the bolt every turn. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what this can kind of be for you. The tricky part is you don't wanna put it in decks that like, yeah, I can do this, but I can also just win way more quickly than trying to bolt people a bunch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the obvious one is just Jorian. Like, most Jorian lists are built in such a way that you get her second card trigger every turn so that you're always drawing cards. Ironcrag Pyromancer kind of fits into that because instead of just dirtling, which is kind of the problem with a lot of those lists, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're dirtling and you're bolting every turn also. So that was something that I thought was really cool. Nice. Let's talk about this next one. It is Mad Radder. Three and a red for a 1-2 goblin. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, create two 1-1 black rat creature tokens. So first thing I thought of was like, oh, this is great in Lizolda. Because they are black, they will draw you a card when Lizolda sacrifices them. So it's just like, okay, on your turn, I'm going to pay four mana, sacrifice these two rats, draw two cards. Okay, sweet, I get two rats. That's quite good. Corvold behaves similarly. Like, if you have any sack outlet, I will sacrifice my two rats. I get two Corvold triggers and draw two cards. Okay, I get two new rats. Yeah. So, like, on each player's turn, you can do that, and that'll generate a crazy amount of value. Yeah, and it's easy with both of these lists so far and the next few lists we're going to talk about. It's really easy to start this train, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you were probably going to draw two cards at some point, and then all of a sudden it just kind of becomes free, more or less. Yeah. Like, other than mana, resource neutral a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then the scorpion god, he can put minus one, minus one counters on the rats. Whenever that happens, you draw a card. So scorp, scorp, draw, draw, rat, rat. <laughs> yeah, sting, sting. Mm-hmm. I really like both of these cards. I really like the draw two cards mechanic in mm-hmm. this set. And this is a mechanic that scales well to Commander. There's a yes. lot of card draw going on in four of the colors in Commander. Yep, yep, true. Including this new card. Thrill of Possibility. One in a red for an instant. As an additional cost to cast it, discard a card. Draw two cards. So I run Tormenting Voice in a lot of mono red decks. Yep, same. And this is just strictly better. Yeah, it's, it's the same but an instant. So this is Wonderful. like getting us closer to a critical mass of just these red rummaging effects. Because at this point, we've got Magmatic Insight, Tormenting Voice, Wild Guess, Cathartic Reunion, Faithless Looting, and then some of the more permanent ones like Tectonic Reformation and Chandra's Regulator. Regulator. Mm -hmm. So now we've got like nine looting effects. We're like there. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening, everybody. If you have a deck that requires a lot of discard outlets, these are all basically free to run. And you can pretty much guarantee that you'll draw at least one every single game. The next card is is also good. Yeah, we both like this card a lot. It's Kenrith's Transformation. One in a green for an enchantment aura enchants a creature. When Kenrith's Transformation enters the battlefield, draw a card. Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a green elk creature with base power and toughness 3-3. It doesn't host creatures as bad as other Lignify effects do, but a 3-3 is kind of like pointless. Like Beast Within is a staple, like... Generous gift. Generous gift. Because, yeah, because a 3-3 is just so bullcrap in mm. Commander. It just yep. doesn't do anything. And you draw a card. It's great. Yeah, no, I would happily run this in basically any deck. I mean, it answers commanders really well. That's awesome. But it just answers like creatures really well in green mm. and cantrips. This is just got to be a new format staple, I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Green has so few ways to like effectively handle things. That wasn't just Song of the Dryad. Uh, the next one also is kind of a... We're going to see this a lot. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it a staple, but yeah. it's a it's a good card, and we have a lot of data to back up the idea that it will see play. Yes, yeah, so this is Return of the Wild Speaker. This is four and a green for an instant. Choose one. Draw cards equal to the greatest power among non-human creatures you control, or non-human creatures you control get plus three, plus three until end of turn. We've had this effect a few times, and... It's always good. This is actually the first time I, I noticed it was an instant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like totally on board for this card as a sorcery. Yeah. But wow. No, that's that's great. It's even better. Not only is it like in some weird random cases, like 0.2% of the time is it going to be a win condition because you can just kill him. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you can be like, end of your turn, draw five to seven or more cards. And of course, it's wonderful that it has that technology of equal to the greatest power rather than the power of target, target. creature. Oh, yeah. This card will never be countered. Like, you're never going to get totally blown out. Yeah, Terminate isn't going to wreck your day. Mm-hmm. I'm super into this card. I think we're going to see it a decent amount. Uh, kind of like you said, not necessarily a staple, but definitely something yeah. we're going to see. I mean, there's a lot of decks out there that run Rishkar's Expertise, Ooh, that yeah. run like Hunter's Prowess, Hunter's Insight, Garak Primal Hunter... Soul's Majesty. Those cards are all good, and this is, you know, it's on the, on the same level. Yeah, just don't put it in your human deck. Yeah. That's the only restriction. 
Yeah, and honestly, like the biggest creatures, they're never humans. Yeah, so whatever. It's very, very rare that it's a human. They got to be holding a lot of swords or something like SRAM. Mm-hmm. This next card is the last in that cycle we keep talking about the Great Henge. The Great Henge is seven green, green for a legendary artifact. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. It has tap, add green, green, you gain two life. And whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on it and draw a card. I love drawing cards. I think this is pretty comparable to Guardian Project or Beast Whisperer. It may be difficult to get like a five power creature on the board, sure. But I think any deck can get like a three power creature on the board. That's Is that like a reasonable yeah. assumption? No, I would, I would say that. And if you have a three power creature on the board, then it costs six but it taps for two, so the effective mana cost is four. At that point, it's basically just a Beast Whisperer or Guardian Project. Yep. And seeing more effects like that is great. They're they're very powerful. Like Both of those cards have seen very, very quick adoption into like the ranks of format staples. Guardian Project is in just under 7,000 decks on EDH Rec. Beast Whisperer is in just over 7,000 decks yeah. on EDH Rec. Both of them have been out for less than a year. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just going to see that increase, and I think we're going to see the same thing here. Yeah. Because this is just so good. There, there's so many decks. Like, if you make a bunch of dudes, like Elf Ball with mm-hmm. this is insane. If you just have big dudes, so, like, Gishath draws you a ton of cards if you're into that, and also makes it cheaper. There's a bunch of cards like that. I really like it in the Rien, who she gets your creatures that died back to your hand. So, like, there, there's just a ton of decks that this is just great in i think we're gonna see it all the time escape to the wild yeah this is three red green for a sorcery exile the top five cards of your library you may play cards exiled this way until the end of your next turn you may play an additional land this turn this looks really close to drawing five cards for five mana yeah Um, yeah yeah as long as your curve isn't super high like i wouldn't run this in my l the anima yeah <laughs> but if you're if your average cmc is like three you'll probably hit two lands and three spells you play one of the lands the first turn you play the other lands the next turn and then you just play your three spells next turn and there you go yeah no i i totally agree i think this is really great pretty much as long as your curve is low enough you're gonna get just a massive amount of value off this one card I would run this in like Gruul or Naya decks. If you have access to blue or black in your color identity, I'd be way less excited about this card, but Gruul and Naya, they'll take it. This next one is called Crashing Drawbridge. It is a two mana artifact creature wall. It's a zero four with Defender. It has tap. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Because it has Defender, it fits into Arcades the Strategist. Two cost, zero four defender isn't the greatest rate in that deck. There's been so many walls printed over the years that like most of them either like give you an additional ability at that cost or just have like more efficient stats or whatever. But what makes this good and what makes it worth running in Arcades is like the haste granting is a big deal. Yeah. Like with Arcades, you can easily go like, okay, I cast Arcades on turn four and then I play like two drop wall, one drop wall, two drop wall. 
the deck is all about like chaining these walls and getting a whole bunch onto the battlefield for very little mana. They're all pretty efficient in terms of their cost. Yeah. So the ability to grant all your creatures haste until end of turn means the difference between, well, I'm attacking just with my commander for three this turn, or like, well, I, I played five guys and they all have at least four toughness, so I'm going to swing at you for 20-something. We talk all the time about how like absolutely crucial mass haste granting is to aggro decks. Yep. Most of the time, the the context we bring it up in is like more red aggressive commanders should just have like creatures you control have haste as a rider for whatever else they're doing. And the ability to get this effect in non-red aggro decks is pretty sweet. Uh, we're going to move on from these niche cards and talk about one that is the opposite. Yeah, the exact opposite. Fabled Passage. It's a land. It has tap, sacrifice, fabled passage. Search your library for a basic land card. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Then, if you control four or more lands, untap that land. You would not believe how many decks run Terramorphic Expanse and mm-hmm. Evolving Wilds. Yeah. And this is strictly better. One of the things about Terramorphic that I hate is when you draw it late game and you're like, oh man, mm-hmm. this doesn't even tap for mana. <laughs> <laughs> and this, all of a sudden you're like, turn 12 and you're like, well, at least I get my mana. Yeah. Oh, okay, whatever. There's only like three turns of the game where this isn't going to yeah. bring you your land untapped. It's quite good. It's also another fetch land that you can run to set up your crucible yep. of worlds yep, yep. At engine like make sure you hit your land drop every single turn keep pulling so lands out of your deck i would happily run this in two color decks happily run it in three color decks i think four and five color decks are getting to the point where like are you even still running basics monocolor decks if you're running crucible then yes, I would run this because I, I assume you're trying to get to the critical mass of fetches to, to make it so every time you draw a Crucible, you have a fetch to set up the engine. It'll be interesting to see kind of the price on this over time mm-hmm. compared to like Prismatic Vista because they operate so similarly. Mm-hmm. But one's coming out in a standard legal set. One came out in a premium booster. So I'm not expecting these to be crazy expensive, but I think this will be kind of like an interesting case study yeah, we'll just all keep our eyes on it. So uh, one of our patrons asked this, Sage in the 805 on our Discord channel. So he asked, what archetypes have been created or improved by Throne of Eldraine? There were a couple new archetypes created by this set. Emery, Lurker of the Lock, is this new sort of self-mill artifact-based combo deck. Sir Conrad the Grim, the guys over at Legendary Creature, told us about a cool lantern control-based build for him. We have a friend who tried to do that with Stitcher Draw, and it just didn't quite work out. I'm super happy this works. Sir Kara the Bold, sort of like a mono-red impulse draw oh, combo yeah. commander. So cool. Torbran, Thane of Redfell, you already know our, our thoughts on him. Grumgully the Generous, he's an aggro deck with like the potential to combo out. That seems pretty cool. Kenrith the Return King, it's like a sort of a political deck with a combo finish. I might have to do some research on this, but I, <laughs> I feel like he's got to be one of the best political commanders. No, I, I, I actually think that that is true because, like... He just has so many tools, and Kenrith can actually win the game because he has that combo. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, like, the Brawl commanders. They might not open up good. a new archetype, per se. Gold um, is very similar to other, like, Jund sacrifice specs. 
most of these commanders are fun. Mm-hmm. I think to answer the question, like there's a lot of stuff that have been created and improved. Probably like two thirds of these commanders in this set, I'm super happy with. I'll, I'll go with half, but you'll go with half. But it's it's good. It's a it's a good crop of commanders. The only thing that's a little upsetting, and and maybe this is the transition to sort of the next part of the retrospective, is like are our desires and expectations whether they were met or not oh yeah uh i would say no Uh, as overall as a set i would say no there were a couple things that i was really looking for and seemed like they have to do this right this is this is a no-brainer and then they they failed to deliver on it yeah we saw a million human token generators in this set Mm mm-hmm and we also had non-human tribal, and they kept talking about the duality yeah. between, like, this is the wilds, and this is where all the non-humans live, and this is the realm, and it's where all the humans live. So it's like, if you have non-human tribal, and you have a bunch of human tokens, it feels like there should be, like, some human tribal. That's kind of what I was expecting. Yeah, and the, it, there wasn't any. Yeah, and, and like, they had two mono-white designs and either one of them could have been human tribal and it would have created a new archetype instantly yeah but instead they burned both of those slots on designs that aren't going to do anything in commander yeah i was also really hoping for something better than sir gwen yeah that that scaled up to commander a little bit better like even the like one-time effects and stuff like that like there are definitely some janky limited instants that i've run in commander like uh when that dies, it comes back, or give that death touch, or give it infect. Like, there's things that I run every now and then, and I was looking for really anything because there are some cards that are knights. I'm specifically talking about Varchild here because I made I made a Varchild list a while ago, and I like it. There's nothing for that deck. There's no knight tribal in this set that benefits that, and this is a knight that wants to attack. Like all the knights seem like they were geared towards the Sir Gwyn. Another thing that was missing for me, there were some effects that, had they been printed on an adventure, would have been like, oh, 100% new format staple. Yeah. Like, easily. If we had gotten a disenchant, or if we had gotten a naturalize, even a naturalize. No, I was really hoping for that. We just got a bunch of nothing. Like the giant, the zombie that does a kill spell, Uh, the giant killer. But that's what I'm getting at. Like, that's the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Like, after that, like, I don't want to tap two creatures. Like, I don't want to turn a green into a red or, like, I don't I don't care about these things. Yeah. You just gave me a bunch of garbage. Exactly. Like, and there were slots in the set where they easily could have done it. Like, True Love's Kiss. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would definitely they, they really had They had a white disenchant effect in the set, but they just, like, costed it so it will never see play outside of Limited. Yeah. And that easily could have been, like, True Love's Kiss could have been the adventure on, like, just some sort of princess card. They could have hit the trope while in the process creating a card that, like, oh, every white deck from now until the end of time will play this. Every white deck needs this. Mm-hmm. But they they didn't. Yeah, it's really strange. And then I'm not going to talk about this for like the third episode in a row. But like, <laughs> witches, man. Oh yeah, no. I mean, the, every time we saw a new witch that was a witch in the name and not in the, in the type name, line, it's so weird. It's so stupid. All right, we are going to finish up with the top ten cards we think are most likely to see a lot of play on EDH Rec. Yep. 
So these are the cards that we expect are going to see the highest rates of adoption in this format. Number 10 is Witchclaw Talisman, which if you're playing a deck that can combo off and kill somebody in one turn, then Witchclaw Talisman is just the perfect tutor for that deck. You get your combo piece, they're dead, they never get a chance to use it. Number 9, Dance of the Mance. Yeah. So this is the thing that lets you get a bunch of artifacts and enchantments from your graveyard back onto the battlefield. There are a lot of white and blue artifact and enchantment-based decks, so I can imagine that this will. everyone with a deck like that is just going to throw this right in. Yep. Super customizable, too. Just the fact that it's an expel like that, just mm, mm-hmm. good stuff. Number eight, Fay Burrow Elder. This is the white-green Bloom Tender. Like, everyone knows Bloom Tender is good and very expensive. People are going to be run like falling over themselves to put this yeah. in decks. And the fact that it's two colors, like you're playing Bloom Tender in three plus color decks anyway. So yeah. it's, it really isn't the the bigger restriction is that it's a three drop. Alright. Oko is a three mana planeswalker that pluses to make somebody's commander useless. And you can also yeah. exchange food for not food. So then the next one, Murderous Rider. So this is uh, one of the adventurers we talked about earlier. It is one black black instant destroy target creature or planeswalker. And then you can cast it as a 2-3 lifelink zombie for one black black. Uh, But when it dies, it goes to the bottom of your library. So you'll have to figure that out. People run Heroes Downfall. 15,000 decks run Heroes Downfall. So this is just Heroes Downfall, but like better and easily recurrable even though it goes into the bottom of your library like yeah even then you could you're in black if you want you could tutor it it's, again. it's heroes downfall with a a not great creature attached but that's still something that is still something i i, I like this better because it's easier to get back creatures in black than heroes downfall so absolutely all right number five is thrill of possibility this is the tormenting voice but as an instant yeah. And I love those rummaging effects. I can see this uh, seeing play in all the same decks that, that run those cards. In fact, let, let me just do a quick check right here. Tormenting Voice sees play in over 7,000 decks. This is strictly better. So I think it's fair to say that upon the release of this card, 7,000 decks should be running it. Yeah. So number four, this is Return of the Wild Speaker. We talked about it just a little bit ago. Four and a green instant to either draw cards equal to the greatest power among non-humans you control or give all your non-humans plus three plus three. I mean, you're pretty much going to do that first one like 98% of the time. Mm -hmm. And just the flexibility of the fact that it's an instant, it's so good. You're going to see it. It's going to be great. And just to give you a quick point of comparison, Rishkar's expertise sees play in 16,000 decks. Well, this one doesn't generate mana for you. It's still uh, quite powerful. Yeah, and the fact that it's an instant. just I'm going to say that again. Holy cow. Next is the Great Henge at number three. We mentioned earlier that Beast Whisperer and Guardian Project both see play in about 7,000 decks. So this card, it's got a lot more text than those two. It's a lot harder to grok, but I think that uh, it's about on that level and we can easily see this seeing play in thousands of decks 
Like if you're running Guardian Project in Beast Whisperer, it's not much yeah. of a jump to run the Great Henge in your deck as well. Yep. Number two, we are going to say Kenrith's Transformation. Lignify is only in 3,000 decks, but Song of the Dryads is an 8,000 list. Darksteel Mutation is in about 7,500 lists. So all of these cards are played pretty heavily, and this is a very, very good version of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the cantripping on this is just insane, and the locking out a commander like that is so good. So I definitely expect to see this card a lot. And that leads to the number one card we think we're going to see pretty much everywhere, all over EDH Rec. Yes, it is Fabled Passage. Just because it compares so, so favorably to Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse, Evolving Wilds sees play in 98,000 decks yeah. on EDH Rec. Terramorphic Expanse is, is 80,000. 80,000 decks. So this card is strictly better than both of them it is likely to carry a, a heftier price yeah but i can't imagine that this wouldn't make it into tens of thousands of decks yeah no this wasn't honestly was kind of easy because it's just it's just a better version of a card everyone plays yeah holy cow so those are our top 10 picks for the most played cards from throne of eldraine honestly like these are going to be the ones i make sure i pick up once the set comes out these are all likely to see a lot of play, potentially increase in price, because they're going to be useful in many decks in the future. Last thing, we are going to look at the top cards from M20. We want to hold ourselves accountable for our predictions, so let's see how we did. Yes, so top cards for M20. We said Cavalier of Dawn, Flood of Tears, Cavalier of Night, Dread Presence, Cavalier of Flame... You can see a a theme there. Chandra's Regulator, Elvish Reclaimer, Shared Summons, Manifold Key, Cryptic Caves. But the top 10 that that actually ended up being by the time Eldrain's coming around kind of surprised me a little bit. Vilas, Broker of Blood. That one's a bit surprising. Yep. Field of the Dead. That was definitely a sleeper. I don't think we were quite expecting it to be as good as it ended up being. But for both of us in testing, it's been great. Yeah, it's been amazing. Scheming Symmetry. That's an interesting one. I think this might be a CEDH thing. Or just people are into it. I don't know. (laughs) Risen Reef is number four. Probably in large part due to, like, if you're building an Omnath Locus of the Royal deck, Mm -hmm. you are just guaranteed to run Risen Reef. But it has been quite good in some lists I've tested it in. Like, if you ever manage to clone Risen Reef. Yeah, it gets really nuts. Or just Yarok, like doing that twice seems good it's pretty good yeah mystic forge is number five that one uh another powerful combo enabler if you're in heavy artifact decks i've played with it a little bit and been very impressed yeah and i also want to note that the morph deck came out and it works really well with it does it does so lotus field is next after that that doesn't actually surprised me that much that both of these lands both of these lands have been so good for me as i've been playing with them lately so all right i'm, I'm cool with that agent of treachery two three that steals stuff for seven mana did not expect that this and the villas are probably the biggest surprise well actually no scheming symmetry honestly yeah all the other cards i'm like oh yeah i totally understand but i i would not have thought agent of treachery yeah it made it up here it is quite expensive for what it does yeah yeah definitely 
Number eight, Veil of Summer. Uh, this is the one that you draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permits you control have hexproof from blue and from black until end of turn. So this one, I am certain, is the CEDH thing. Yeah, this one, there's no way. I mean, I know it's been being played in Legacy, so mm-hmm. this is, that would be my guess, too. Number nine, though, Shared Summons. Mm-hmm. And Tutor for Two Creatures. And number ten, Dread Presence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so we got a couple of them, but there were a lot of weird cards that snuck in here. Yeah, I do want to say number eleven is Flood of Tears, so I wasn't that... Wasn't that and far off. number 13 is Elvish Reclaimer. Number 15, Manifold Key. We we got... Yeah, we were close. We called some of them. And, and then a lot of the ones that we mentioned, like pretty much all the Cavaliers are pretty close after that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't actually think we were too far off. I think we uh, most of our top 10 are in the top 20. I think part of it is we underestimated the effect of CEDH. That's definitely true. I assumed that Veil of Summer was going to see far fewer adoption, but mm-hmm. maybe like the CEDH people are just way faster about updating their decks than like Joe Schmo. That makes sense. So it's possible that over time these numbers might settle in a different direction, but it is uh, interesting that we we didn't do that well. Yeah, yeah, it is strange. Well, I would say we didn't do terribly, but like I'd say like a D is still a D. <laughs> Not great. We'll see how our predictions for Throne of Eldraine shake out, because I think that Throne of Eldraine has fewer weird cards than M20. That's definitely true. So I think that uh, there's going to be fewer sleepers coming out of this set, is my prediction. So that is it for now. I think we just want to thank some of the patrons. Absolutely. Thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amond, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Brock, Tom, the White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, and Andy. Thank you all for supporting the show. It's because of you that we're able to keep the lights on here in the studio. And if you are not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please go to patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.